Blog Talk Radio. Join us here on Cinephiles. Oh, that's good time. Huh? Well, today is our first show. Cinephiles Radio is live. We wanted our first show to be a nice soft opening. So as a soft opening, we thought we'd have a lackey reunion. Today on the show, we have the beautiful, the fantastic, the always hardworking, Lauren Parkinson Cruz. We'll be on in a couple minutes. We have two-time Mr. Australia, Guy Grundy. This guy is humongous, and the biggest he is, the nicer he is. All hungry guy. We have Ricky Bird. Ricky Bird's going to be. Of course, he's on a plane right now, so we'll see if he gets off in enough time. I'm your host, Steve Peason. Some of you may know me as Master Steve Peason. Some of you know me as Steve Peason. And so you have a different name for me. <laughs> Let's keep by the nice one. Thank you for joining us here. All right. Hello, hello.
seems we're having some technical difficulties. Lord, 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 Lord. Lauren Cruz, Lauren Parkinson, I can hear you. Yeah, is, is, uh, is Guy Grundy? Ha ha, wrong number. Lauren? Yeah. There you go. See, that's why uh-huh. I wanted to have a show. That's why I wanted to have a soft <laughs> opening. Are you there? This is the practice one. Yes, this is, no, we're on the air. <laughs> we're on the, we're, we're on All the right, air. But, we got the right you know, number that's, now. That's, yes, that's why I wanted to have a soft opening because these buttons are a little confusing. Oh. So are you, no, so we, got we the have button. the beautiful, we have the fantastic, we have the amazing Lauren Parkinson Cruz on with us. Everybody, give us a warm round of applause, Lauren. <laughs> They're all happy to see you here. How are you doing? I'm wonderful. How are you? Very good. Thank you for joining us. I know it's it's really early for a, a Los Angeles, 10 o'clock in the morning, uh, but thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Well, the first time we, we met each other was for the Lackey movie, but let's, let's, go, let's go back. What, what high school did you go to? I, I want to know this. <laughs> Well, um, it's a, a small high school kind of outside of Cincinnati in Ohio called Amelia High School. Amelia High School. What, what kind of high school students were you? And this is something I was wondering, because when you meet Lauren Parkinson's crew, you're, you're going to see Lauren Parkinson. It's incredibly beautiful. But if you work with her, you're going to see that her work ethic is out the roof. It's incredible. So I, I want to know, what type of person were you in high school? Were you a loner? I doubt that. Were you more of the popular group? Were you the nerdy group? Which group did you fit into? Hmm. Maybe I need some call-in help. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I don't think anybody's going to help you on this one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What was I in high school? Uh, a caterpillar? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, did, did you like, I feel did like you I like was friends with everybody. Oh, yeah. I was definitely... Yeah. 
I think I was more into music at first, which got me in the choir and everything. And then when they had auditions for the musicals, I um, I had auditioned for the first round of musicals, and they said that I needed more acting training. So then I started taking drama classes with my super awesome teacher, Mr. Rhea. Everybody loves him, and they should, because he just uh, takes everybody and lifts them up and it was it was does really he, really a great experience oh no, no, he still teach no he's, now really? he's in an awesome rock band <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me of my uh my high school english teacher he did the same thing he taught me inspired me and then went off and wrote movies so this guy inspired awesome. you to become helped you out you know worked with you that was was that your first inspirational moment was that your first uh what i call that person a mentor or or do you have several mentors in your existence as, a, as an actress well he'd be the one for sure that got me started out yeah well, what kind of advice did he give you when you when you told him you wanted to go into hollywood or did you tell him you wanted to go into hollywood was that a dream of yours at that point Well, that started as uh, the decision of what I should go to college for because it was my father's dream for the longest time. He had started my college fund when I was a wee baby, and and they were always like, you're going to college. What are you going to college for? And I never knew. I mean, I, I was pretty good at each subject, but not too interested, Um, but acting for me kind of encompassed a little bit of everything and more like like studying people and um right so that's what led me in that direction when i had to choose something to study there there was there was a point in time when i had to choose between music and theater um i mean it was a deciding moment for me because I, I could either go and do this choir competition or I can go and do this Shakespeare competition. They happened to land on the same day. And, uh, and I chose theater, and, and that helped me kind of focus my energy a little more. Wow. So what, what, did you work on plays in high school as well? Yeah, um, we did, what? I think, a fall play and a, a spring musical every year. And some scenes, scene working class. What was that? What plays did you work on? Uh, What were, like, your favorites? Well, of course, I always enjoyed Shakespeare. I got to play Juliet in Romeo and Juliet. And uh, I think that's what, you know, everybody had to go see every play. And so, like, that's what everybody knew me for in high school, I think. So... Finally, when I graduated, they they voted me what most dramatic. <laughs> but I'm not that dramatic. Wait, was everybody expect- no, I'm not that <laughs> at all. <laughs> now, when, when they saw you, were they all expecting you to go to L.A. or you know, quote unquote Hollywood and and make it, or you know, were you just one of many women who wanted to go out there and hit the field? At the time, at my high school, well, my high school was interesting. There were a lot of artists and just a lot of 
at that time, everybody is kind of confused in their life and they don't really know. I mean, we started, I think, with a class of probably about 200 and graduated with probably about 150. A lot of, a lot of drama actually going on with the, with the people and um, <laughs> with their situations in life. And, right. um, oh man, a lot of people, a lot of dropout, a lot of people passed. Um, so seeing them in their situations, you know, nobody had any idea what they were doing. I was probably one of a few that was going to head off to college. And, um, and I still, by the time I was a senior, my last semester, I had no idea what I was going to do. And then I decided that I wanted to be an actor since I had to choose. I was just going to, you know, go have fun and go acting. But since I had to go to college, um, I auditioned at Miami University and uh, got a special acceptance through the theater department and got a talent scholarship. So that was lucky because that was the only school I'd auditioned for. So I, wow. Hmm, yeah. So you so you went from high school and then you you actually tried out in college for drama. That's that's I've really not I've really heard of that and hear people be successful. Now I don't <laughs> mean that to be rude towards my audience, you know. But when people go to college and they and they take up drama, I've never seen a field so you know displaced as art because only in art do people say. You know, you should probably take English or business as a minor, just in case that whole mm-hmm. acting thing doesn't work out. Did that, ha- did that happen to you, or were people just, you know, had faith that you were going to make it, or that you knew what you were doing, or did you know what you were going to do? Did you do have faith in yourself? Hmm. Well, I'd always heard that you should have a backup plan, but then I'd also heard that if you, you have a backup plan, that you will fall back and so I never wanted that um, I, so I didn't give myself the option really and right. uh, so just kind of focused my energy and slowly but surely I, I didn't want it to come too soon because I see what it happens I see what happens to people <laughs> but yeah plugged through it and uh, I got a scholarship That's every right. year yeah for a, mm-hmm. so a scholarship in what department? Yeah, for, for a talent scholarship to, to help through. Really? That's mm-hmm. fantastic. So you, so you went to college and you're, and you're taking drama. At what point do you make the leap and go over to uh, the Hollywood scene and try out movies, try out plays, try out those things out there in the, in the big world? When, when did this happen? Well, I hate to give away my age, but after I graduated college, (laughs) I did the regional theater thing for probably about five years until I decided if I'm going to get to the next level, I'm going to have to get to a bigger town. And, uh, you know, while I was still young, I wanted to try the movies or TV. So I was deciding between here or New York and, uh, I'd been in New York a few times. I have some family there. It's awesome. But the vibe is a little different. I came out to visit some friends out here about seven, six and a half, seven years ago. and just fell in love with it. And, yeah, it's all about being happy, being where you want to be, and then doing what you want to do. Is that advice you'd give to young females who come out to New York, L.A., Florida, things like that, in order to become, you know, in production stars, actresses, that kind of thing? 
Is, is that advice you keep yeah. to them as well? Just keep plugging at it. A lot of people will come down on you saying, oh, I've heard everything. You're too old. You're too young. You're too this, too that over the past six years. And I've just been kind of ignoring them and uh, saying, you know, I know I'm good at this. A lot of people have said that I am. And, you know, do it at whatever level you, you can and just, just keep doing it. Just feed your soul. Right. right. And women get such a, a, a huge um, disadvantage, uh, I believe, in Hollywood. I, I know this is not a, a popular opinion amongst men. Men don't like me talking badly about men, but I, I think it's intense, the experience women go through, through the movie industry and the television industry and the music industry, that they're held to a completely different standard than men are. And I, I completely understand the whole sexuality thing and, and what have you, but um, did that perplex you as well when you, when you went into acting, uh, how different women were treated opposed to men? There are a lot more women in the field than there are men, and sometimes there are a lot less parts for them. Um, right. I, I've always felt that I just had a more masculine soul and it, it never bothered me. I have a, a, also a very rebellious thing so that if somebody would say something, then I would just, you know, make a smart ass remark and <laughs> turn it in a complete right. opposite direction, turn the tables. You know what I mean? Right. So yeah, well, I guess I'm a bit, of, you a bit of a fighter. <laughs> well, you, well, you have a very obvious, uh, you know, different per- personality than I would say that a lot of women would have uh, that I've met in the past. Uh, you know, I'm, you know, you said you age yourself. That just means you went to high school when you were 10. That, that's, that's what it means <laughs> to me. Because, <laughs> so you didn't age yourself at all. I got the time I the, <laughs> you, were, you were in college at 12. You were, you were like Doogie Howser. It was incredible. Uh, <laughs> uh, unlike me, I, I'm an old man. I, I love it. I love to death. But, when when did it turn over for you? That, that's a that's a question I like to ask. When did what's the part or what's the moment or what's the situation in your life where things just turned around and, and you said, you know, I like this stuff. I want to do this. When did it become real? It's it's always been real, except as soon as I I dropped the you know. The backup plan, which I always thought that I had to have a job to support me so that I can act because I didn't know or believe that I could actually live off of something that I like doing. And even though I liked my my day job here and there, um, I just decided it was four months ago that I quit my day job and things have really been picking up. So you say recently then? So, yes, very much more recently. I've always um, put myself out there, um, not to the extent that I have been doing for the last four months, but um, it's hard to stay out there as much. And um, there's there's something magical that happens um, when I meet people. I kind of get infused in a group, and I think that's what happened with – back when I auditioned for uh, Hectic Films and Scope when they were doing Phase 2, and that's when I met Sean and Jason, and then 
they magically brought me on the lackey. So I didn't even have to audition for that. They they just brought me on as a friend. <laughs> and it worked out really well. Anybody could look at your IMDb and look at your credit for being here. Give me 12 steps in Eastern College and in serious ways. But then you go into phase two. And that's, that's where things start to change a tad bit. These, these projects beforehand, uh, how did these come about? Were they just student projects that came your way? Were they just friends that introduced themselves or did people hound you? What, what happened for you to be part of these projects before Jason Sanders? Actually, most of everything I've ever got came through theater. It's usually somebody, yeah, I think everything is, uh, besides Phase 2 and the Lackey, which is the next level, which has brought me to where I am now, and I'm doing a lot of stuff like that now. But at first, right. it was friends that I had worked with in the theater that said, hey, we're getting together and doing this project. You should come audition for it. And then I would get the part. And then one project would lead to another. And, yeah, it's all, it's all, it is all about who you know and uh, who yeah, you let see your work. And the theater is a magical place for that. A lot of people right. that want to get into acting um, kind of skip that step or, you know, think it's not as important or think it's just – a completely different animal that they shouldn't even try to tame. But really that's where the essence of all acting starts. So I, right. I could definitely point out all of those projects have somebody saw me in something and then brought me in. Right. It's very strange to me that people, that nowadays at least, they, they seem to skip over the theater mentality or they I think people forget that Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, some of the greatest actors in our time were theater geeks. They were in the theater. They, they hounded teachers. They can teach them their craft better. And, and that's who these people were. That's incredible. But, a lot, you know, I, I've met a lot of people throughout my life who thought they can just do it on their own or, or they didn't need any help. Was that a problem with you? Did, did you ever think that you didn't need any help or did you always think I should get help if I need it? It's, it's, a, it's a lonely world being an actor, I think. Um, help is everywhere if you know where to look. Um, but I would never really reach out for, for too much help. I would just know that I had to take one step and then the other, and I, I know it would lead me somewhere eventually if I just kept making the steps. Right. Right. So let's go into uh, let's go into Lackey. So how did how did how did Phase Two come around? How did, how did you get involved with hectic films and, and those guys over there? And let's hear that story. I love to hear this. <laughs> well, that was an audition that I found because I'd been on LA Casting. I guess that's a an easy way to start for all the actresses out there. Get on LA Casting, go through all the breakdowns that come through every day read very slowly through, see which one do you want, because there's a lot, of, a lot of horrible stuff out there. But when I saw the, the posting for Phase 2, it, you know, um, I'm always interested in that post-apocalyptic kind of sci-fi world. I see zombies. I think these cats must be interesting. And it's it just more well-written than, than some of the other breakdowns. So I, I gave it a poke submit myself and they called me in and 
there was a huge panel. (laughs) I I don't even remember everybody. Were you there? There was like so many people in the room. It was crazy. Um, I didn't get the sides ahead of time because back then I didn't, you know, it's one step at a time. So they gave me the sides as soon as I got there and they gave me a minute to go out and read them. And then I came back in and they, I just saw some, some jaws drop. It was pretty exciting. I just read the part. It was, it was really an emotional part and I love emotional stuff. And, um, and there was a, a death. Actors always love to die on the screen, right? <laughs> Envy the bad guy. Envy the bad guy, right? What was that? Now, Envy the bad guy as well. The bad guy is always a coveted role by actors and actresses. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of that juicy yeah, stuff you, out there. So I like to go for the juice. Yes. So, so, you, so you did phase two. How was your experience on the film? Oh, my goodness. It was amazing. Who doesn't love actor housing? I mean, <laughs> am I crazy? But uh, so we got to go head off. I think we were in Bakersfield, and uh, they had us all up there for like a week or so, and we were all living in like this tiny little Winnebago and sharing this house. And it was just such a great experience. It's like brushing your teeth next to the person you get to go shoot with later that day and uh a lot of a lot of crazy hard-working people and some just you know learning the ropes and and some more experienced so everybody's teaching each other and they 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 banged it out and did it in a pretty short time now when people see you and when they look you up on imdb and you look up you know, Lauren, per- Lauren Perkinson, you look her up, you're going to see that this woman is incredibly beautiful. Uh, and, and the one thing that really drew me back about you was how hardworking you are. Now, uh, there are a lot of actors and actors out there that work very hard, but w- whenever we had something to do, whenever we had something to promote, whenever we needed somebody to be there, you were the first one to be there or to contact me back or any- anybody back. Um, where did you get that? strength, that ability to um, push yourself and go, you know, I really need to do this myself. Because I know a lot of people, and I see a lot of people think, oh, it's going to happen, or it'll happen if it happens, people will watch it. But you work it. You work it very hard. Um, Where did that come from? Who instilled that in you? Well, um, probably my parents. I, I mean, I was very, very fortunate, but... They've, you know, definitely given me everything I needed and then at the same time had me work for other things. So I, I think it's, it's uh, that, that instilling of taking nothing for granted and, you know, feeling like nothing should just be handed to me and that I should work for, for everything that comes my way. And, it's it's not hard work. It's fun, and you you get to be out there with the people and see how they're taking the work that you put out. It's it's all wrapped up in that same package. And some people only want you know the attention, which is something that I don't really want. You know, thank you for saying that I'm 
beautiful and stuff like that. But it's always been like a really hard thing for me to accept. I just, I want to work for it. I don't want anybody to just say something like that about me. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, Thank you. (laughs) No, you're, no, I, you know, we, we talk, uh, we talk a bit and, uh, you know, when I tell you that how, you know, the beautiful thing is just something I I think I need to say on the radio. Uh, It's one of those necessities, Uh, but you are intensely beautiful. You're incredibly beautiful. But the one thing I'm always very, very, very happy with and impressed by is your work ethic. Your work ethic is, is, is really incredible. And you are a young woman in Hollywood and doing the best you can. It's really incredible. I, I really respect that a great deal. I respect women. I love women a great deal. But, you know, sometimes people, they don't, um, they don't have that, that push, that pull, that, that, that I need to do this or, or you know, sometimes it's I want to do this. So my greatest compliment I can ever give you is your work ethic is just phenomenal. So tell me, you, uh, you did phase two and you're done with that. And then how did the laggy come about? That I believe was just a phone call from Sean saying, love the work you did on uh, phase two. That, that was another great thing about um, the end of the days at, at phase two. Um, they would bring up the dailies and we'd get to see other people's work. That doesn't happen very often, but but it was it was an amazing experience, and I I mean I remember Sean was there, and he was just like, oh my goodness, that that scene was amazing. So then they called me later, and so we got this part. It's pretty emotional. Um, we think you'd rock it out. Um, so I read the script, and of course I took it. <laughs> well, you're a fantastic yeah. actress. I, if, if anybody here has seen The Lackey, and I hope you have, if you're calling in right now, um, it, you did a great. You did a fantastic job. That was a very difficult part. Tell me, what was your inspiration when doing this film, when seeing that part of Lola, seeing her as a junkie who has a child? Um, what, what, what did you find? Did you do research on that part? Did you just, just float, float right into it? Uh, did you have somebody in the back of your mind you're were, you were, you were mimicking after? Tell me, tell me about that process. It was kind of a conglomerate of a few people I've known very well in my life coming from a smaller town where sometimes for some people there's uh, not as much to excite you other than, you know, making babies and doing drugs. So I did have a lot to pull from in that department and I'm, strangely grateful for it um it it was a couple of mothers that i knew put together and um just that attitude i just you go and knock on somebody's door and they come to the door and you know that there is something running through their veins (laughs) that is uh, (laughs) right I mean, yeah, I got a pull from reality, and I definitely delve into all different parts of society because I like helping people. I like to lift people up and try to bring people out of uh, a more um, desperate situation and kind of show them more of the light, but it ends up being... uh, Like, sometimes people just want to stay where they are, and you have to wait until they're ready to come out of the dark. And uh, that's how I saw Lola. She was in a dark place, and she didn't know there was nothing to lead her, and all she had was her child. And 
she didn't know how to take care of her child. Right. Michael was great. Oh well, my god, I gotta give a shout out. <laughs> to be able to work a with a really good Thomas. child actress. No, no, what is what is her name? Tell her name name again, please. Michael. Her oh. name was Michael. So uh, I think it's Ricky so says, you know, Don't work with dogs, don't work with kids. So Aww. it was like we're going with a kid. Right? I mean I never believed that, by the way. That that's just silly to me. I would work well, with a champion to any time. Exactly. You can't put yourself better than anyone or anything because all of that stuff is a part of life. And when you start differentiating and separating yourself from, oh, I don't want to work with that, oh, I don't want to do that, that's everywhere. And you have to just jump in and enjoy yourself. It's a gift. Right. Right. You're not alone. Learn something from everybody. (laughs) No. You know, there is. You're right. There's there's some people that feel like if I don't get what I want or if this isn't the position that I desire, then I'm not going to go after it. And there are some people who say, you know, I'm, I'm going to do whatever it takes minus some unethical and amoral things. <laughs> you know, and some people can't differentiate. They're like, oh, I can't take that part. That that part is gay. That's a gay part. I I'm not gay. Like, um, that's why you're an actor because you get to play mm-hmm. a role that you're not. Because you're also not a wizard. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, did you see a lot of that coming up the ranks of people that you saw that were just excellent actors or actresses? I'm just going to say actor. And they're coming, up, they're coming up the realm, and they have all the skills, but just that part of their brain isn't there uh, where yours is. Did you see a lot of that growing up, and did that inspire you to become greater, or did that detour you away from uh, a little bit, away from certain things? What was your feeling about that? Well, a lot of people have not necessarily, hmm, let me think, it's it's more of a mental state, and if you can push yourself beyond the little mental blocks that happen and just kind of go with the flow and enjoy yourself, that's when the magic happens. It's the stops that people that you're talking about that that that's how I would explain why some people stop it's it's a stop (laughs) right exactly um, exactly it was always discouraging for me growing up because I'd I'd see some of the greatest art you know painters and and, um, writers musicians just drop off the face of the earth because you know they didn't think they were going to make it and they were like five seconds away did you did you find that yourself uh, in a couple of experiences? That they don't have the mental capacity. They have the, they have the acting chops. They may have the work ethic to a certain extent, but the, the mental capacity is not there because rejection is a, uh-huh. a definite necessity for, for acting. If you, if you can't handle rejection, uh, I always say if you can't look like a, if you can't handle looking like an idiot, then you shouldn't be an actor. You find the same way. Exactly. I love looking like an idiot. <laughs> you just got to do it. Right. So, so we went into Rocky, and we, we finished the film. Uh, you know, Sean Pacino, you know, pushed that film and, and directed it with, with the Jason Sanders. Um, but the, the guy was definitely the, the head of the snake. Um, when you saw the film for the first time on the screen, how, how did you feel about that? 
Uh, I was amazed. I mean, you guys, Sean, whoa. That's one of those things that, that people think that they can't do. And uh, I was just in awe and totally inspired. And someday I'll be able to do as much as Sean does, right? We'll see him in a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but, and you, oh my goodness. It's, uh, acting is one little thing, but producing and writing, I mean, that's, that's one reason I love acting so much is because the words are already there for you. All you have to do is feel them. You, or you don't even have to feel them. You make other people feel them. But, but when you read them, it stirs up. Oh, and and his writing is just so. Your guys' writing is like witty and oh, and all the you know the homages. Sean is one hell of a writer. Yeah, Sean is one hell of a writer. You know, Sean's one one hell of a writer. He's a great guy. You know, and we see and little parts the pictures, like the yeah, character, the, the relationships world. between the characters are so already there, so strong. It really makes my work so easy, I gotta say. It's it's really all in the writing. <laughs> you know, and I thank you guys. What's for great it. about you know, what's great about actors like like yourself and, and Vern and, and Guy Grundy and Ricky Bird and all these other great actors. You know, when you when you see people like yourself act, it's very easy to write. Because you're very relatable characters. You're, you're, you are, you yourself are a very relatable actress. So to write for you is quite easy because I know that you're very relatable. You're going to be able to say things. People are going to believe you. Uh, burn the same way. Uh, it's a little more difficult for other people because you don't know what their voice is going to be like. You don't know what their ego is like. On the other hand, you've mm-hmm. always been a very, you know, you're a very strong woman. I love strong women. That's why I love J.J. Abrams, Josh Whedon. I love those series of shows and movies that propel women in film. Tell me in the future... Is that something that you're, you're looking forward to do, is, is to propel women in film, or is that even on your radar? Definitely. And, I mean, even just for myself, it, it makes me feel like a stronger person when I'm reading your writings and everybody's really good writings, and then I get to portray that character, and then I feel stronger, and then it strengthens my character, not necessarily my ego, like we were saying, like the ego is something that tears you down, and and that's something that a lot of women, because the ego comes from a lot of what other people say, I think that, you know, people talk at women more and and comment on them and, and that things get more in their heads. They're, they're, they're more vulnerable, maybe the seemingly the more weaker sex. So that, yes, when you get over the ego and, and you could just chew on some good text and form a strong character and believe in the situation and just go with it, that... That's really what it is, as as making a stronger character and a stronger person. So yeah, I would I would love to be kind of a, another one of the many women actresses that that helps pull up the rest of the ladies in the world. And, and if there was a director out there listening right now, which director or two directors would you like to work with uh, first? 
Uh, I do have a list of about 30 because <laughs> my new manager made me make think, a list. I think I added to that list as well, yes. I definitely want you to uh, <laughs> I, I don't Honestly, I have this weird thing where I don't want to really say it out loud because then I think it won't happen. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I, I'm familiar yeah. with actors and their, and their superstitions. <laughs> oh, well, let's, let's go this way then. Uh, if there was a part that you're looking forward to, or something that you want you want offered to you, what would it be? It, sky's the limit. Can you say that one? That's another. That's another. I, I, I try to definitely just go with the flow and hope for hope for higher each time. But I got to tell right. you. Reading the Lackey sequel, I am super excited. It's getting a lot closer to that strong female character that we all want. Um, you know, it's, it's, harder, it's harder to play the, the vulnerable and um, the weak, yes. but definitely yes. the stronger, more powerful queen-type characters are what we're all going for. <laughs> and this, um, the I'm, doing a, what? I'm doing this pilot, which is we're shooting it this week, and I get to play oh, yeah. a, a dominatrix um, record producer who has a German accent, and she's really tough. And it's kind of one of those, you know, Angelina Jolie, uh, strong woman archetypes that we all yeah. want to play. And, yeah, so I get to play that this week. So I'm excited about that. Nice. nice. Who doesn't want to be in control <laughs> right, exactly. Especially in a world where you're not in control, where, where people are telling you what to do every second. Put this on, go stand over there, act like this. Mm-hmm. So, so where, where do you, where, where is Lauren see herself in 10 years when she hits 21 years old? Where do you see yourself in, in 10 years from now? Do you see yourself directing, producing, writing, acting, acting more? What do you see yourself in 10 years? I definitely see myself more fully emerged. I think that I will definitely be directing. Um, every director I work with gives me a little side wink saying, well, you should be a director because I do kind of really? like to – I get excited about everything that's going on, and then I'm like, oh, this should happen. Oh, I can't help myself. But, yeah, so I definitely think directing is in there. Um, awesome. I would definitely like to be making more money doing the acting thing as it's been escalating wonderfully so that I could live off of just that and, you know, move on, move into TV more as I'm starting in the pilot now. And I just got my manager, so that's all very new. So I think definitely in 10 years I will – at least have some sort of recurring roles on TV and be stepping into even bigger films and, uh, yeah, riding the wave. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And you're a great girl. And thank you so much for being on the show today. You're, you're a delight and a wonderful person. Uh, what, what, what are you working on now? What should we be looking out for for Lauren Parkinson? If we're looking for something right now, what are you going to be on next? 
Well, the next thing that everyone can see, besides we, we have she-wolves in the can, so that's probably going to be ready. We could all party it up uh, around October. I think that's supposed to come out. Um, and then besides this pilot full circle, after that, um, in about two weeks, I'm going down to Florida to shoot Roger Corman's next film, Cobra Gator. <laughs> I get to play a uh, lead singer of a punk band. And... Uh, we go down to like a cabin in a lake and we're going to go shoot our music video and then Cobra Gator ensues. <laughs> that is awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. We're so looking forward yeah. to the next projects. Uh, everybody, please go watch The Lackey. TheLackeyMovie.com uh, is the website. Um, uh, where, where, can we, where can we reach you? Where can we find you? On Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram. How can, how can we get in touch with you? Because I know my audience here just wants to know you. So how, how can we get to you? My in, Facebook in a nice fan way, page. friendly way. Yeah, you Facebook me. Facebook fan page, Lauren Parkinson, like me. Lauren Parkinson, actress, yeah. is, is what I think the link says. I think you're almost hitting 1,000 a, a a thousand people right now, right? You're almost I don't think I'm that people. high yet. Let me- I've got a a trusty computer in front of my face that will click (laughs) on your page. Let me see how many people you have. (laughs) Wow, that's a... I I know almost all of them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Except for for Goat Boy. That's fantastic. Lauren, you are a joy. You're just wonderful. And every time I see you, You I always have a smile on my face. So, you know, Uh thank you, girl, for being on on our show and we definitely want you back in the future you're you're welcome anytime oh thank you thank you so much for having me and thank you to all of our wonderful listeners i know i got a lot of friends listening out there those are my first time on the radio in my morning voice <laughs> here for everyone so hopefully i wasn't too boring for you <laughs> you sound you sound fantastic no you have a lot to offer uh, people you know it, as I've been a professional teacher for, for you know, a long time. And uh, the one thing that I was taught very, very early in my career is that everybody can help you in your life. Everybody can be the, the stone that sharpens your sword. So, so true. You, know, you, you just got to be open to it. Yeah. I mean, you can get Emma Stone on the radio right now, and she can give you advice. And you can say the same thing. And people would probably take her advice and, and go, oh, that's very wise. It, same advice is coming from two different very people. You know, it it just levels of of uh, you know when when they're speaking. This person spoke when they're successful, and this person speaking right when they're about to blow up. Uh, I think that's your <laughs> career right now. I think I think the next time I'm glad I got you in the radio before your your career blew up, and I become one of many people. Of I like to rem- remember and thank the people. Oh God, I can't remember that person's name. That's me. That's me. <laughs> so I, I, I'm glad I was able to get you in the radio before this year. You're some huge stars. So thank you so much, and uh, and uh, have yourself a great day, Lauren. To I love you all. Bye. Bye. Right. Goodbye, Lauren. All right, check out Lauren and Lauren Parkinson on Facebook. You can also catch her on uh, uh, Instagram, on Twitter. Check out thelackeymovie.com. Check out the Lackey Movie on Facebook. You'll find it everywhere. All right, we're going to take a short little break here. We're going to get Guy Grundy on the line, and we're going to have a little combo with him. So, let's go. 
And remember, all of you, if you have any other opinions about X-Men First Class or X-Men Days of Future Past, either movie, call in. I'd love to hear from you. I would love to hear your alternate opinion. Um, neither right nor wrong. Wrong. Uh, <laughs> but I'd love to hear your opinion. Just call in. Let me know what you think. Listen, the movie's not horrible. X-Men Days of Future Past is not horrible. It's just not good. So it's kind of like chocolate ice cream from a really bad ice cream shop. It's still chocolate ice cream. So I'll say that. So if you have a different opinions, please give me a call. Otherwise, let's just wait for Guy Grinding. Here he comes. Welcome back, everybody. This is part of the show where Ricky Bird was going to join us, but I, I guess he's on a plane right now. Might as well on his way to a, a job or back from a job, or I really don't have any idea. But uh, hopefully, he'll be on soon if he can. If he can't, uh, thank you very much for for extending a hand and wanting to be on the show. We miss you, and we want you to be on. All right. So I don't know if you got my rant earlier about. X-Men Days of Future Past, because I couldn't figure out these darn buttons. So, let me go on it now, again. Okay, so I went to go see X-Men Days of Future Past. Well, let me stop you there. Let me go back in time. <laughs> when I was a little kid, I collected comic books. The little ones, you know. It was, I grew up with a learning disability, so I couldn't read whether in height. It just it was incredibly difficult. So comic books were my safe way to get an education through English literature or creative writing. Twilight Zone also was a gigantic influence. But comic books were the thing. When I turned 12 years old, my brother said, I'm too old for this stuff, so this is for you. And it was Frank Miller's Wolverine. It was, it was all the Batmans. It was all the Spider-Mans. It was all the X-Men. Going back to X-Men number four and it was incredible. I mean, I couldn't have been more, more happy. And since you're a child, you're waiting for these movies to be made. You can't wait. You're hoping, you're praying. So, like, the Fantastic Four comes out, and it goes straight to, to tape. And if you know anything about comic conventions, you can get that tape. So, you watch it, and you go, okay, this is... Fantastic Four in the 1980s, and this is what I should be expecting for Fantastic Four in the 1980s. You see Captain America. 
in the 1980s, and you go, okay, this is what I should be expecting from Captain America in the 1980s. It looks like 1970s Spider-Man. So that's a very interesting concept right there. So from there, you grew up, see Tim Burton's Batman, and you're enthralled by it. It's incredible. Now, looking back at it, when you see Batman Begins, of course it's going to look a different way. But the hindsight is 2020. The first Batman was fantastic. Everybody loved it. Second Batman, even better. What a great movie. It really started off the superhero trend. And I believe what a lot of Hollywood execs believed was this is fresh new content. When it was not fresh and it was not new to a lot of us. A lot like Avatar Last Airbender. When you went to go see that film, that content was already finished. It's not like you couldn't compare it to something else. So I understand there's fanboys and all that stuff. And, you know, we want to deter fanboys from destroying a project, especially something that's in creative hands like Joss Whedon or J.J. Abrams. On the other hand, you don't want somebody just doing whatever they want. Which is one of the reasons why Tim Burton was not continuing to do Batman movies and why Sam Raimi didn't continue to do Spider-Man movies. I don't know if you remember, but his Spider-Man 4 script had the Vulture and the Vultress. It had Rachel McAdams playing the Vultress. By the way, there is no Vultress in, in the comic books. So you go through all this stuff as a child. You go through all this stuff as a kid and as a teenager of watching all these movies and just waiting for it to hit the next level, which is happening now, of course, with Guardians of the Galaxy and Doctor Strange being made, Black Panther being talked about. And, Captain America 2 was just amazing. Really, the best superhero film of the year so far. Amazing Spider-Man 2, not a bad film, especially if you compare it to the first one. Godzilla was, was a great movie. Incidentally, the interesting thing about Godzilla is they hired the director from Godzilla to go on and do an offshoot, a spin-off movie of the Star Wars saga. So they're thinking he's going to do a, a Yoda picture, which is quite interesting because he was slammed for making a fantastic monster movie, for making a horrible human aspect movie. Ken Watanabe had, had a really great shock look when he looked up into the sky. So, I mean, he was you know, relegated to being a prop. And he's an amazing actor. So, But it was a great movie. So why would I say Godzilla was a great movie, but X-Men Days of Future Past was not a great movie, and it had a lot more movie parts, a lot more actors, it's not the actor's fart, parts, uh, fault. It's not the actor's part. It's not their farts. <laughs> Library. It's not their fault. You know, Hugh Jackman is excellent. The rest of the actors are excellent. Michael Fassbender is excellent. Sir Ian McKellen is brilliant. The cinematography is beautiful. Special effects are great. The characters are awesome. Um, Quicksilver. Quicksilver totally takes over the film. I would have watched a two-hour Quicksilver film based purely on the ten minutes that I saw. And that's the truth. And any of you who saw X-Men Days of Future Past, I bet you agree with me as well. He was an excellent character and underutilized. As a matter of fact, the production said after when the movie was made that they should have added more of him. So what went wrong with this film? I believe it's convoluted. I think it has them, too many moving parts. Some of them don't connect. They just don't. Now, you can say, well, it was a huge production. 
Of course you're going to get that. Mm, I don't know. When you have a source material that's so beloved and sold, it's not that complex. I, spent, I mean, you're talking about a, a grade-A director with a grade-A team with Sony Pictures and Columbia and all these people behind me, and you're trying to tell me that he couldn't have made a better film? But it was a great film. The acting was great. The uh, action was fantastic. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you. No, the, the, the future aspect of the film was great. The past aspect of the film was ridiculous. It was just ridiculous. In the future, you have women. Women are running around. You have Storm. You have Kitty Pride. You've got Blink. You've got a lot of different characters. In the past, you have Mystique. That's it. <laughs> and her character is really just exposition. Jennifer Lawrence is an Oscar winner. She doesn't really say anything important. She doesn't do anything important. So she's the enemy. So the only really big female part you have in the film is the enemy. The second biggest, and this is what people might argue, the second biggest part in the film is Kitty Pride, who in the original comic books sent herself back in time. In the movies, she sent Wolverine back in time. Now, I'm not, I don't have a problem with that. Why should, why should I? It's just continuity and all that stuff. But the only person that Wolverine slashes with his metal, with his metal blades is a woman. So I don't think I'm quite off the mark when I say that the movie kind of aims in the male gender. So that was a, a, a little off-putting for me, myself. So, uh, so when I watched it, the guy fest. There's a lot of dudes. Now, normally I would like that. But after first class, and you saw first class, you know that adding men and women in collaboration, having both groups together, sets off a, a completely different dynamic than if you just had guys, which is what we have. I tell a lot of people when, when I write, I write a lot of, about women. And the reason why I write about women is because for men, you expect men to survive. Count them on the Cristo, anything from Dickens, just even Wuthering Heights to a certain extent. These guys are destined to be, I don't know, dead, not alive. And then you know they're either going to get the riches or they're going to meet somebody who's going to sponsor them, or, or something or other. When women are stuck in a situation like that, the same situation, you think they're going to die. Of course they're going to die. Why wouldn't they die? You look, at, look at the book, Clan of the Cave Bear. Clan of the Cave Bear was exactly that story. A woman picks up a weapon to protect her, her pregnancy. Women were not allowed to carry weapons. They send her out of the village and say, you have to live underneath this tree or wherever, you, wherever in, the, in the, the harshest winter, and if you survive, you can come back. They never expect her to survive. She goes under a hollow tree, she gives birth to her child, and she goes back, and she becomes queen of those people. That goes to show you the difference and the dynamics of having men and women in film opposed to just men. That's why I like writing about women. It's, it's a lot more interesting to me, mostly because the literature I grew up with had mostly men. Now, a whole new generation is growing up right now. 
and has seen women in cinema and media, books, magazines, all that. You know, it's, and I'm talking about the difference between 100 years, you know, 100 years ago. And it's incredible. But when you see X and Days of Future Past, you definitely feel like we're going back in time. <laughs> you could have brought, you know, Psylocke in this film. You couldn't have brought, Rogue couldn't have been a component to this film. So I, I genuinely, genuinely did not like it, even though, I, even though I saw it three times. I genuinely just did not like it. So I'm waiting for callers to come, come calling in. I see a couple here. Uh, I'm hopefully one of them is going to have a, a little debate with me about the, star, about the uh, X-Men movie. Um, if not, we're going to wait a little bit longer for uh, that. Grindy is going to be here in about uh, seven to ten minutes. So let's take a small little break and um, love a drink. It breaks my heart that Ricky Bird is not here today. I know he wanted to be on, but he's most likely stuck on a plane. I hope you're enjoying the show. This is our first day. I'm just ironing out the kinks. How are you doing today? All right, let's talk about another film that we saw. Amazing Spider-Man 2. Now, listeners, if you saw Amazing Spider-Man 2, call on in. I want to hear your opinion on this film. Amazing Spider-Man 1, not a great movie. I, I didn't like it. Um, I was disappointed by it. No shock, right? <laughs> but this Amazing Spider-Man 2, I did like. I did like it. Um, I thought a lot of the characters were a little, a little forced, but uh, still, it was an enjoyable movie. 
here is my only gripe about the film. Let me give you a positive after the negative. So my problem with the film is at the end. And Gwen Stacy has her ultimate... Listen, if you haven't seen Amazing Spider-Man 2, there's nothing I can do for you at this moment. So I'm going to give you a little spoiler. So, um, so Gwen Stacy dies in this film, like she does in the comic books. And when I saw it for the first time, I wanted to see that. It's a very important part of Peter Parker and Spider-Man art as a character. What I didn't really enjoy was the fact that um, it kind of missed the point of why Gwen Stacy's death was important. Gwen Stacy's death was important because it was a part of his life. It was part of his love. It was part of his existence. When he saves her in the comic books, or thinks he saves her in the comic books, he's so confident. He's so happy. He's so proud of himself. He starts reeling her up, thinking, I did this. I saved her. I did it. I saved her. And you find out that he didn't save her that she actually died. And she mostly died from a snap of the neck. Can you hear the snip when he yanks on, on the uh, on the webbing? In the movie, people believe that she hit her head against the ground and that's how she died. And that's fine. It's true. Really but the part that they missed was the fact that Spider-Man was supposed to feel extremely confident that he saved her life. And then when he doesn't, he questions himself of, of being the amazing Spider-Man. How amazing am I? I couldn't even say it. I, I saved you. That's that's, I don't understand. I saved you. And that's what he repeats over and over and over again. And then the next couple of comic books afterwards, you start to see the repercussions of that experience. Of people coming after him, people blaming him, people saying that he was involved, people saying that... Um, He's a reason why it happened. So there was, there was a whole repercussion thing going on there. When you watch the movie, it goes to her death, and then it goes to him fighting the rhino, which is hilarious to me because you don't really see that moment of, you know, should I be Spider-Man? I mean, yeah, you, you do get a couple lines in there that, you know, imply who he is, but seriously. There, there should have been something in the show. This woman is a woman you love. Yeah. She died because you couldn't stop being involved with her, even though her father warned you, who, by the way, you got killed. And you can't wait to get this other person killed. Throughout the entire film, he's having flashbacks to the father. Um, maybe those flashbacks could have been a little warning that something bad's about But the reality is, is we're all looking at the
That was weird. I was booted off my own show. Fantastic. You're like Arsenio Hall. No disrespect, Arsenio Hall. I'm sad that you lost your show, I'll be honest. I love seeing you. All right, let's see if Guy Grundy's joining us. Time, Mr. Australia. The fantastic, the always amazing, the always gracious Guy Grundy. Let's welcome G'day, Guy mate. Grundy How are you? to the show, everybody. Hey. Hey, who is that? Keep the applause. More, more applause, please. More applause. I want some more. More, applause. more, more, more. Everybody, applause more. Let's go. <laughs> There we go. Uh, <laughs> oh, these went crazy for you right there. <laughs> I'm gonna have to How get you doing, one of those to, uh, I'm doing real good, mate. How are you doing? Good, good, good. Um, thank you for being on the show. My pleasure, mate. Uh, you're very important to me. I just jumped off the uh, the bike from doing cardio, and now I'm calling you. So uh, that's how important you are. I'm sitting here sweating in the middle of the gym. <laughs> That's awesome. So let's let's go back. Let's go back to where you come from. Where were you? Where were you born? You're 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 an Aussie. Yeah, I was, I'm uh, I'm from Sydney, Australia. Uh, I was born in a place called Penrith, which would back then was probably like uh, Inglewood or Compton. It just wasn't a it wasn't a good area. And um, I had a, a troubled childhood. I guess my uh, father, uh, who recently passed away. Uh, suffered from schizophrenia. He was an alcoholic and a very violent man. Uh, we met. My, we made amends towards the end of our lives, so there's not a problem there. And my mum is very unique. So I had. A, I lived with pretty much every family member there was. Uh, at 13, I wasn't. Uh, I was diagnosed as uh, being unable to read. I had a reading aptitude of a seven-year-old. I was into a banned from all sports, which was shocking to me because that was, was my thing and basically sent to a special school and it was not the, the special you're hoping for. I actually didn't know what the short bus was, thank God, but I was actually on the short bus and <laughs> just so people know, I was, it doesn't matter where you start from, they had to do a reading test and I was in the class and everyone else was seven. But I will say this, Steve, at lunchtime when we played rugby, I kicked everyone's butt. Yeah, I think you'd be the first one picked on that one, right? <laughs> yeah, so, and then from there, mate, um, I was kicked out of home at 16 and basically was living on the street and became pretty much a renowned street fighter. I, you know, I was a physical person and I had some anger, so fighting was something that came easy to me and I would fight for money and I would fight for chicken breast from the dumpster behind chicken breast. It didn't really matter. I would fight for whatever it was. You know, you know what's very interesting about that story is... A friend of mine told me the same exact story about a guy in Korea who would hang out and he had a bowl and people would bring back buy food and start a fight with him. He'd fight the person, beat them up, take the bowl of food. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. you did this. Yeah, wow. mate, I, I did. I, I was, um, that's why violence and everything, and I, you know, I've been arrested and been held on 
over a million dollars of ale. I was arrested by SWAT. That's like three years ago. You probably don't even know about that. So I've, I've led a very uh, interesting life. And interesting life. I'm one of those people who could have, like a Jordan Belson for the Wolf of Wall Street. You know, I, I have talent, but I wasn't brought up too well, and I have a wild side. So I, I think someone who really helped give me guidance and give me a direction where I could go was, um, was Sean Piccinino, who's obviously... Very close. He's a student of yours and a close friend. And Sean gave me an outlet of acting, which is what I always wanted to do. That's why I came to America. And thankfully, you know, I, the charges were dropped. I was let out of jail, and uh, now I'm pursuing my my goals of being a Hollywood movie star. Now, we, before we get to Sean and Lackey and all these great projects coming up, and there's other things that you're doing as well. Let's let's go back a little bit farther. When, when did you get the instinct or, or the desire or the drive to want to do film or media in, in that area? I, I, I know you did, you're two-time Mr. Australia, so there's obviously you're not a shy boy. <laughs> but when did that mm-hmm. turn into, listen, I, w- I want to go into the acting realm. I want to be, because I know you as, as Grundy, a guy Grundy. It's, it's a personality. It's almost like, a, it's almost like a, a stamp on a character. When, when did you decide to be that character, that person? That thing. Um, there's, there's, there's two pivotal points. One, um, I, as far as I can remember, I've always wanted to be a movie star. I just, you know, I had insecurities. I had abandonment issues. I wanted to be noticed. I wanted, hey, I'm over here. I was a skinny kid. Uh, so I, I was in the corner, and I hated that. And somehow American TV was my saving point. A lot of people watch TV when they're kids, and they'll go with the bad side or whatnot. I always went with the good guy. That was who I wanted to be. And I believe I was a little angel when I was born and then life got a hold of me and, you know, I went this way and that way. But I always wanted to be an actor, more for the the the, the appreciation and the respect. And then I, when I was uh, nine, my parents uh, snuck me in the trunk to watch the driving movie, which I've seen Rocky. And, you know, I didn't know that was a movie. I thought that was real. And that just gave me... An idea of like, wow, you just keep fighting and you don't stop, then good things will happen. So that was a lesson. And then when I was like 11, when I was wagging school, I walked past uh, in Georgia, which is a famous area in Sydney, and there was a picture of Arnold as the Terminator. And I just Mm -hmm. looked at that picture and said to my best friend, I said, mate, that's what I'm going to be when I grow up. And then that's always been there. And then I got into the acting. I started reading books and talking to people and listening to Brad Pitt interviews, Leonardo DiCaprio. I really immersed myself in the art and I realized it was so much more than what I thought it was. I was just going to be an action hero and fighting. But then I understood the development of a character the moment before, all the, the intricate things that went into building a character and making it a performance. So for me, acting is the best integration it's my goal i get to be physical because i do the action and i'm a physical person but i do understand and comprehend the acting side of it which which is exciting me a lot like i'm doing more theatrical things and i'm I'm enjoying the development of a character right you know i I, the interesting thing about you as a character is you're a very delightful person and uh, I, i don't say that about many many people but whenever i see you i always have a smile on my face and you you push your character quite well. Uh, you push your 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 media well. You push your your acting well. You push your you hustle. That's something very very rare these days. I'll be honest. Um, in, in the field that you're injured in, what gives you that drive? That because when you you wrote up a beautiful thing for even the show Cinema Files Radio, and uh, it was better than what what I wrote. 
like, well, this guy's incredible. Uh, but what gives you that drive to do things like that or to keep on pushing? Um, please. A good question, mate. Um, I'm never satisfied. I've, you know, I've been a professional rugby player. I've been a professional bodybuilder at the number two in the world at one point. You know, I've gone on to do some movies. I'm always, I'm, I have insecurity issues, and I always need to be doing something I get to prove to myself that I'm, I'm getting better, I'm not slowing down. And, and it used to be a bad thing, but I, I've found that successful people, we have ants in our pants. I'm, I don't sleep a lot. I don't sit around and do nothing. I can't do that. And I just want to... I realise I look back on my life and I've had a lot of ability, but I had no guidance. I didn't have a parent to say, I didn't even know you had to brush your teeth. I didn't know you had to not wear your socks every day. I'd wear wow. my underwear for a week. You know, I didn't know any of these things. So I'm a little bitter in ways where I'm like, I wish someone had to give me guidance like I gave my daughter. But now I'm like, I'm a great father to my daughter because I didn't have that when I was a kid. So I give that gift to her. And it's just a learning experience. And I just want to be the best person I can. I lost my way there for a while and I don't regret it. I did some crazy things that, you know, eventually will come out one day when I can talk about them and I'm proud yeah. of that I did this and I excited it but at the same time, it's time to change and evolve. I'm not saying the old Grundy won't come out and party and have fun. He will. He's in there but yeah. I'm more mature and I just, you know, I want to be the best actor I can be. I want to be the most successful people I can. I want the kids that went to school with me to be like, well, I went to school with Grundy and look what he's doing. But most important to me, honestly, two things. One, I want to be happy with myself and be proud of myself because that's important. And I want my daughter to go, man, my dad was something special. When I'm dead and she talks about me, she's like, you know what, he was a great man. And the thing that I pride myself on, I didn't have a father, so I've read a lot of biographies of great men to, to learn from rugby to business to everything. And the main thing that they all did wrong and they admitted it, but they were so focused on themselves, they were not good parents, and that was their regret. I've always promised myself that I wouldn't have that regret, and what I've had to do is basically lose all my friends. I do not hang out with my friends anymore because any time I have is devoted to my career or to my daughter. And once I came up with that idea of, you know, people will sleep rather than get up early to chase their goals. It's a thing about persistence and... I just want to be more than I am, mate. I'm not happy with who I am now, and I'm happy with who I'm becoming. When we get down to, like, mentors, was there anybody, you know, in your life who guided you that, that was that sparkling light who inspired you to keep on going forward when you're pulling yourself back? Uh, did you have your own Mick? Like, to give you a rocky metaphor, do you have your own Mickey? I, did, I had men that came into my life and they made me feel special and that was in the gym. Um, people would, I'd, I'd be at the gym when I was nine and it's Australia and where there's some rough men. I was hanging out with rugby players and drug dealers and thugs but they welcomed me into the fold which made me feel special because I went to so many different schools I never made any friends. I went to like 20 different schools because I was thrown around so often and right. there was one guy, uh, the first one ever would be Arthur who is a, with a guy at the gym. And this guy was amazing to me. I want, I want to see him again in the future and cuddle him and say thank you. He basically, I'd walk into Giles' gym, which is a gym down Coogee Beach, and he kept seeing me. He kept seeing me. And I, I was in awe of him. He had a great physique, and he, he talked to me, and I was like, wow. It made me feel good. 
And then it got to the point that he would actually finish his workout and I'd walk in and he'd see me and he could see how excited it was that he would actually train again with me for like two hours. So I had a lot of men like that and then there was Mark and his two brothers who, once again, they were older and they were beasts as men and they were alpha males and they, they took me in. So that made me feel like, you know what? I am somebody. I'm with these cool guys because they wanted to be and they'd laugh at my personality. So I, I, I had some men in my life that were real men that were tough and physical, which is what I believed a man should be. And all I knew about my dad was that he was a boxer and that was it. My dad's tough and he's mean. That's, that's, that's what I knew and that's what I wanted to be. So I surrounded myself by these men and they made me feel good about myself and allowed me to believe in myself more. So I did have some of them. And then in the acting world, um, I'd have to say Sean Piccinino would be the main person. I've had a great acting coach in Jimmy Stefano who helped me. But Sean's probably near to my closest friend. As I said, I, I, my best friend back in who was, I no longer talk to him. He wasn't helping my life. And right. so I'd, I'd say it's Sean. Sean would be the most integral part in acting. And Tony Morris, who's a celebrity trainer, He's every every couple of weeks we go and I sit down and I talk to him like a therapist and he breaks me down and makes sure I'm heading in the right direction. And I want to send a shout out to Jesse Barraquin, who's a good mate of mine, who basically sits there and watches movies with me, helps me work out budgets for movies and just helps educate me. So I've, I've got a good support crew, but at the end of the day, it all comes back to you and you've got to do something with what these people give you. Right. I can literally talk to you for two hours. So let me get to a couple questions, and let's go back. Um, we, have a, we have a caller. Uh, Rob is on the line right now. He's been waiting 20 minutes to talk to you. Rob, what is your question <laughs> for Guy Rendy? <laughs> you know what? I've had uh, Rob, several questions, but uh, I was just thinking, uh, have you ever put the fear of God in a man before? Mm, good question, Rob. How are you, mate? Huh? How are you? He's off I'm the air. How are you? Okay, hey, Rob. He's saying hello hey, to you, Rob. You there? Oh, I'm going to answer the question. So, hello, Rob. Um, yeah, I have. I've had the fear of God put in me. And basically, I was a little kid who was bullied, who became a big kid, who became a bully. I experienced everything. I knew what it was like to be fearful, and I knew what it was like to instill fear. And... For a long time, I was a collector and an enforcer. That's why I was arrested and a street fighter. And I loved, I put the fear into so many men, believe me. And, and I got a buzz from it. It fed me. It drove me. It made me feel like a man. And I, I have done it. And, you know, I sound like I'm proud of it. And I pretty much am. I had men that scared the hell out of me and put me in trunks and I thought I was going to die. And in a way, I think you... To answer your question, yes, I have, and I've had it done to me. And it's a it's an analogy. I've been in fights before, and you both hurt him. You both want to give up, but you just see something in the other man's eyes, in his demeanour, and it's amazing that his fear then becomes your strength. You go from like almost not being able to beat this guy to destroying him. So, if for a long time in my life, that really made me feel like a man. So yeah, I've experienced it. I enjoyed it when I had it. Am I proud of it? Maybe not, but it's it's part of my evolution. Oh, that's fantastic. We have another we have another call here. Mary. Hi, Mary. Hi there. How are you? Hi, good. We have we have the fantastic guy Grundy on, on right now. Uh do you have a question for him? Yes, I do, actually. Um I just have a question about your website. Who is the person that put that together for you? Because it is fantastic. 
I have to agree with you. It's uh, my assistant, uh, Mary. I'm going to butcher her last name, but I'm going to say it. I call her M, but it's Mary Butchoz, and she is awesome. She's my PA who has been an amazing asset to me. The website, as you said, she just redid it, and, and as she said, it's awesome. If you get a chance, check it out. And that's not just to, to sell stuff, but it's like she does, uh, she outsources work, and it's an amazing, the profits have gone up amazingly since she did this new design. So the website was up by Mary Butchovs, and she did a great job. Great job, Mary. we got another call on the line. Let's take this call here. Hi, you're on, on the line here with uh, Guy Grundy. What's your question? Live radio, you're online. And you are dropped. All right. So <laughs> let's get <laughs> so let's get to the lackey. When when did uh, things start to progress forward in the momentum that it's going in now? Was the, was, say that again, buddy. What was the question? When, when, when did things change over for you? When did things turn over? When did, when did, the, lackey, when did the lackey kick in? When did Sean into your life? How did that happen? Um, Sean, it fundamentally Sean, changed your life. Yeah. Sean was um, instrumental in my acting career. Basically, I, I, I answered a Craigslist ad for The Deadliest Warrior, and I went in as a warrior. And Sean was there with like four other people. And, you know, they were looking at me and they weren't interested in me in that role. And then Sean goes, he'd be a great gladiator, this guy. He'd be a great gladiator. And I think, and Sean never told me, but I think they had another guy in mind for it. And long story short, they had me in for uh, three or I think it was like three editions for it. And Sean was there and I remember the last one and Sean just took me to a park with all these other guys and he just said, Grundy, listen. Um, I want you to get this. And he, he just helped me. He rehearsed me for like half an hour for my audition on tape. And they didn't really want to hire me because I do have a violent background and you don't want to have someone violent on the movie set. I understand that. And Noel Vega, who was also uh, working with Sean at that time, he was actually the boss. But Sean went into bat for me. And I'll never forget, Sean didn't call me because Noel did. Noel rings me up. And Noel's just got, he's a great guy, but you just don't know where you stand with him because of his, his personality. So he... So basically, I've got the role, but the way he talks to me on the phone is just another audition. Damn, another audition? This is killing me. All right, I go in, and I'm sitting there, and there's everyone there, and there's the, the Apache that I work with, and these guys are all doing somersaults on, on, on concrete floors, and I'm looking at these going, I can't do this. I'm dead. There's no way I'm going to make this. Everyone was a lot smaller than me, but they're doing all these crazy tricks. So we're half an hour into it, and then I'm like, Damn, this is the key. I made it. So I wish I could remember his name. He played the Apache or come to me. He was, he was an amazing for me. I so wish I could give him credit because he, he just helped me so much. And I said, excuse me, mate. He goes, yeah. I said, did I make it? He goes, yes. And I'm like, wow. I made it and it was an amazing experience. And then I heard about uh, the Lackey. And, you know, I love the name. I heard the Lackey. I said, what a cool name for a movie. And... Sean, Sean, apparently from talking to you, had me in mind, but before that I just said, bro, how can you do a movie and not put your boy in it? And he said, he laughed, <laughs> and long story short, I was a, a cooler, a, a bouncer at clubs, and I was working at Guys and Dolls, and that was like a, 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 a hip-hop club, so a lot of people wanted to get in. You had famous... So I was fighting all night long. I was, I was making good money, but I was earning it. So I basically finished there at like... Five in the morning, jumped in the car, drove to Bakersfield, got pulled over by the cops and got a speeding ticket. 
then got to Bakersfield, fell asleep for an hour, and then woke up and then boxed with BP Carney for like like six hours. <laughs> and I met I met uh, Ricky Bird and uh, Jason Sanders. It, it was just everyone was just so much fun. I was tired and irritable, and BP Carney was there. BP was just awesome. A little story on him. This is what. The lackey was like, first off, everyone walked around slapping everyone's ass. Well, I'm thinking, is this a gay movie? Because everyone's acting so gay. Then I realized it was just their joke. So, you know, I was like, so I'd walk up and do a little bit of butt pattern as well. But people didn't take it the same from me. So I said, all right, we better pull the butt pattern back. Maybe we're not in the club just yet. But the funniest thing was, B.T. Carney, he's, a, he's, a, he's an enforcer. He plays hockey now. And... Just at the end of the move, we're finished shooting. He goes, Grundy, I'm going to go flying out the door. I want you to chase me into the street and pretend you just threw me out. And I go, bro, I'm not going to do that. But we looked at each other like kids. And there's DT, 46 or 47, diving onto the concrete. And then me come running out, going, you ever come back here? I'll kick your ass. And then I was embarrassing him in the street. And DT didn't like that. He comes running back in the bar to me. So I had to run back to him as well. That's amazing. You know the yeah, the, the, the head the heads the head smash always always just makes me shriek. If you if you've ever seen the Lackey movie um, <laughs> on YouTube, everybody check out check out uh, the Lackey movie. Type it in on YouTube. You'll see a bunch of clips, and one clip you'll see is uh, Guy Grundy almost smashing in Ricky Bird's face, <laughs> and it's hilarious because it's one of those times where somebody says one more time. And then one more time, you kind of regret it. Let's hear about this story. This is fantastic. Yeah, that was, that was good. Ricky's a tough man. Like I said, I'm a street fighter. I've got, I think I've got the hardest head in the world. I've been hit by baseball bats, cricket bats, just so everyone knows. Aluminium bats make more sound, but wooden bats hurt more. So if you're going to hit someone and you want to just shock them a little, the noise of the steel will do good. But if you want to hurt them, I'd go with the wooden one because that's what seems that put me in the hospital. So we're, and we're, disclaimer, uh, do, do not do that. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Uh, audience, you're not going to win bad and beat them. No, don't do that. If you're the person who hits them, you're in trouble. And if you're the person who gets hit, you're in trouble. So it's a no-win situation, that one. I know. So getting back to your question, we're, we're doing the movie, and we I think it was me. It's like, you know what? Let's add a headbutt in here. And long story short, I blame Ricky. Everyone else blames me, but I blame Ricky because I grabbed Ricky and he was supposed to take his head to the left. I'll admit I didn't tell him to put his head to the left. I right, right. So unfortunately, we, right. we headbutted each other and I've headbutted a lot. That's what I do. And then the, as soon as I did it, Ricky dropped and I held on to him. And, I, and if you watch the clip, you'll see my head start opening up and blood coming out. And I'm not going to yeah. sit on the show, but I go, oh, S-H, funny little thing, T. And basically after that, everyone's like, because it's acting, everyone's like, oh, my God, you've marked his face. He's got to go to the hospital. We can't work. And I'm sitting there watching them all, and Sean and everyone's like, not panicking, but they're, like, worried about the actors, but they're worried about the movie because I've got a lot of things to shoot. I think we'll take him to the hospital. We'll get him back. And I'm like, guys, just stick my head back together. Has anyone got any crazy glue or super glue? And uh, someone on the set had super glue, and everyone's like, how do you do it? And I said, and DT's like, I love this guy. I'll do it. So DT super glued my head back together. Ricky, I think, went to the hospital, and we finished shooting. Yeah. Yeah. Ricky wouldn't stop smoking cigarettes. I kept on telling him, your one eye is not dilating. 
is one eye was very tiny. I kept on telling him, like, I, I think there's something wrong with your eye right now, bro. And he kept on smoking oh, a maybe. cigarette. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, that, that, that but, whole crew was um, very tough. You could, if that crew, uh, yeah. there was no, there was no fucking, there's no, everyone did their own stunts. Everyone that flew against the wall or kicked a trolley or dived out, they all really did their own stunts. So it was, for me, the, the lackey, because I know all of us are going to go on to bigger and better things. And I'm all, I know now I'm going to look back at the Wacky's one of my greatest experiences because it was so pure. You know, like I, I didn't do, I didn't get paid to do it. I got some credits in the movie and I ended up investing some, some money to get the movie finished, I believe, in it that much. It was never a money thing for me. It was an opportunity. But, but I know I'm going to look back and go, man, that was, I'm never going to get that again because it was just special. We all bonded. There was no ego. We were just all happy to be there. So it's one of those times in life where everything came together. Everyone was hungry for success. But most importantly, everyone was talented. Like there was no one on that movie. I've been in some big movies and I've seen some people that shouldn't have been there. Everyone was talented. It's an, it's an amazing uh, crew. And, and I know from the future I'm going to be at Academy Awards and people that I've worked with are going to be winning awards and I hope to be one of them. But that, that's the kind of standard we had and... Sean and yourself and that produced that within the actors because everyone knew each other was a great atmosphere. So to me, it's a special time and I'm already missing it because I know nothing else will be as pure as that again. It was a very, but I'm not very saying, pure I'm not experience. saying no to the money that I'm going to make that. <laughs> no, not at all. You know, yeah, Sean, if you're listening my to this, yeah. well, I do want to get paid for the sequel. I've had enough of the experience. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's get big money for the second one, mate, all right? Let's get, let's, get you some, let's get you a paycheck tomorrow. This will be short negotiating Sunday. I want you to have another great experience, so I'm not going to pay you at all. You know, the, the one thing I liked about you, Grundy, a, a lot is that um, you're, you're an opposing human being. You're a big guy. You know, you've got that look. But I, I believe you have very soft eyes and a very soft soul, personally. What I was really drawn back by was your your ability to drop your ego and to have an incredible work ethic. You know, people out there listening, I mean, you can hear him say things like, you know, I got pulled over, I had a bad past, I, you know, SWAT team, yada, yada, yada. This guy has the work ethic of an ox. An, not, a, not a dog, an ox. This guy works incredibly hard and is an incredibly nice person. And that, that's, that's very difficult to find is nice people who work very hard. Let me ask you, was that something that you focused on as an actor, is, is to have a good time and to be a good person, or is that just something that you bring to the table? Tell me. Good question, mate. That's a great... Thank you for your comments. That's how I want to be perceived. I think I know how I want to perceive. You can be just an actor who turns up and does a great job, but I, I, it's like a boat that goes through the ocean and it has a wake, and that's what's left behind it. I want people when they meet me to, to smile and be happy and go, you know what, that, I, I remembered him. He put a smile on my face. There are people in this world, there are 7 billion people on this planet. You're not going to get along with everyone. I butt heads with some people and if I do, I walk away from them. But I like to have fun. I'm a big kid, so it, it comes out when we're on set. Some, and I want people to be fun. But the main thing as an actor, really, when it comes to a selfish point, you don't want to be arrogant on a movie set. You want everyone to like you because when you walk on set, you can feel people wanting you to do well. I've been on movie sets where people were rude and the crew hated them and, 
And, you know, they're going to move the lighting back. Whatever they can do to, to make you look bad, they're going to do because you've, you've offended them. And I, one thing I found that I really like, two things about me. One, I know I'm a, an, an intimidating-looking guy, so I will go further than most people to be nice. I go out of my way because I realise I'm starting from a deficit. That's something I accept and I enjoy that. But when you're on the movie set, I just want to get along with everyone. I want to have a good time because it's, it's life and I love being on the movie set. When I'm on the movie set, I'm in the moment. And I love the movie people. I, I, some actors are a little weird. They get deep and I don't like that. I'm the, I'm, I think I'm a little bit different to some actors where I get along with the physical side of it. But it's just an amazing world. And, you know, if you want to work, you want people to like you. And, and who doesn't want to be liked? That's something I want. But at the same time, if you don't like me, I've got no problem turning my back on you and not caring what your opinions are because if 95% of the people like me and you don't, who cares? Yeah. That's a great attitude, you know. And i got to say, you know, I really loved your personality. It's one of the reasons why I've stayed close to you throughout these years. You know, you, Sean, Lauren, very, very few people, uh, great personalities, great work ethics. Uh, these are the kind of people I would like to work with in the future. You know, of course, you have your J.J. Abrams, your Joss Whedon's, all those things that you, you aspire for, you dream to. When you meet people that are like you in this field and have the same inspiration, aspiration, work very hard, are nice people, those are the people you stay very, very close to. Uh, and that's what I'll say about Sean before, you know, I had him on at the senior guest. Is, uh, he's one of the nicest guys I've ever really met in this kind of field. And uh, loves his wife, loves his children, works incredibly hard. Did you, is, is that what drew you to him? What drew you to this particular person? Was it his dedication to you? Was it his loyalty? Or, or did the other stuff really carry you over as being a better friend for, for a long term? Tell me. I think the first thing was me. I'm pretty intuitive, and we just clicked. We looked at each other, and we got along well. We're pretty much opposites at that point where I was a wild man, and Sean's very, you know, Sean, Sean, Sean can whoop any ass he wants, just like me, but he's very soft and very quiet. Well, I'm a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more, some people would say manly, but he's so manly he doesn't feel the need to be manly. So we've just got this respect. And then when I worked with him, you know what? It's a great question you asked. That, and I just like the guy. But this is what I liked about him. And it was a good question you asked. It made me think, is he knows everything. There was never a time on the set where I, I felt that I didn't have to pay attention to everything. Sean would be working out all the details, saying this is what we want to do. And honestly, I wouldn't listen to anything. I would sit in the corner and just be thinking of, whatever I was thinking about. And then I'd say, Sean, what are we doing in this set? And he would tell me. So I think I feel that I just had trust. And if I had a, a problem with my character, and I, he'd feed me, he'd push me in the right direction. And he was awesome where he was, as a director, he was amazing where he would have the lines and he would do the, the scene with the lines that he liked. But then he'd go, Grundy, do it your way. The message I want to get across is this, do it your way. And... For a director to do that and also someone who wrote the script as you did and then to say, you know what, he's doing it better than the script itself, let him roll with it, that's so rare. A director will do that, but not a director who wrote the script. And I never realized how much freedom they gave, gave me to just be grundy. And 
You know, it's my favorite character, and I, I really acted like myself. I was a cocky collector. I had fun with it, and I liked seeing people in fear and that. I, you know, I didn't really have to act. So for me, it was a great experience and just an evolution in my acting career. And, you know, God bless you on for, for writing a wacky, making an amazing movie, and, such as, and yourself, Jason Sanders, getting involved for $7,000. You know, like, come on. It's, a, it's an amazing thing, and it, it's never going to happen again. Well, what's happening now is exactly what I thought would happen, which is the time the show is almost over. We've we've clipped almost an entire two hours of the show. So, just just to get a, a little wrap up here, where does Guy Grundy see himself in ten years? Do you, do you, I'm pretty sure a person like yourself has a focus on where they want to be in a decade. Where is Guy Grundy in a decade? I'd like to be, this is a goal, you know, I don't want to be like a John Jones and, and say, I'm going to be the greatest. I, in terms of time, I'd like to be as well known as Arnold and Sylvester Stallone. You know, that's the goal. And I'd love to get into producing of films, not just myself, but producing films. Because as you said, I'm very into the, the business side of it. And there's a lot, I, I want to be a multi-billionaire. Okay, the first thing I'm going to be is a multi-billionaire in 10 years' time because it just sounds cool and it's a, a major goal. And I'm not going to get there by just being an actor. I, I love the business side of it, and by talking with you and Sean, I'm going to get into the, um, producing, making other movies. I'm going to get into uh, managing other talent, which I will bring into my own movies. So I've got a goal of being like a, a Mark Cuban in the wealth. I'd like to own a football team. This is something that, that, that I've always wanted to do. And, and, you know, if you ask me every day, my ideas will change a little bit. But the overall thing is to be, an, you know, an established action hero guy. Thought of as like people that I admire. I want people to look at me like I looked at Arnold and Sly. Whether I can do that or not, who knows? I'm not saying I want to be as great as him, but I want some kid to look at me on the big screen like I looked at them and just go, "Wow!" Change their life and be a positive role model, and be a great father and. Just continue to improve. I'm not perfect, and I will stumble, I will fall, I will do stupid things, but I'm a man, and I embrace that, and I don't want to lose that kid inside of me. He was suppressed and abused for a long time, and he likes to come out. Like I, I try sometimes when I'm doing appearances to act cool, but I'm sitting there inside like a little kid jumping up and down. I'm thinking, be cool, Grundy, be cool. Like, over there, oh, my God, this is that. So I'm living a dream, and I just want to continue to live that dream. Well, we have people out there right now that are listening who, you know, had a similar past to you or at least think they do or maybe it's even worse. And what would you say to that person uh, if they want to be you, they want to be the new you, they want to follow in your footsteps and, and they've had these problems, they've had these troubles or people not to inspire them or what have you. What would you tell them to lift them up and make them confident in the field that you're in? First of all, you've, everyone's made mistakes, so stop thinking about the mistakes that you've made. We've all screwed up. We've all had people abuse us. Turn it into revenge. Turn it into a fire that can make you move forward. Whatever anyone's done to me, I want to prove a lot of people wrong. I turned it into a positive. So your past doesn't define you. It doesn't matter where you start in life. It's where you end up. And I say this all the time. We all get knocked down our butts from time to time. That doesn't matter. What does matter is that you get back up. And if you want to change... You need to change. You need to change the people you hang out with. You need to change the books you're reading. You need to do a game plan and say, this is the person I want to be. You need to look at celebrities. I look at Vincent Barty. I want to have that leadership. I want to be able to, be, to, to talk and train people. 
on an individual level that works for him like he did. I'll take that from him. I want to have Sean's compassion. I want to have this. So I take things from different people and I, I, I work towards being that person. You can't just say I want to be rich and this. You need to get a gap. There's three things. You need to know what you want. What is your motivation? Number two, you need to set a game plan to get it. Just move. Just go. I didn't know what it would take to be a famous actor to come to America. If I did, I probably wouldn't have come because it was so daunting. But I did it. I got started. And the other thing is that. Do it. Get off your butt and do it. If you're sleeping and you don't need to sleep, you're failing because you're not doing what you need to do. If you're going out with your friends and getting drunk and you're not doing something that's moving you towards your goal, you're failing and it's your own fault. Singleness of focus is why you succeed. I was the number two amateur bodybuilder in the world. I lived and breathed that I was the most boring human being on the world. God bless my girlfriend, Ali, at the time, and that put up with me. But a singleness of focus and just driving towards where you want to be, and you will fall off the path, but as long as you know where you're headed, you'll get there. Listen, this man is giving you words of wisdom here. Now, I want to get in contact with Guy Grundy. How do I do this? How do I get in touch with him through Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, Instafram, all those things? Uh, the, the, two, the two main ways of getting me, I would suggest, uh, is Facebook, Guy Grundy. You know, you, you'll see my big head come up there. And also Guy Grundy, which is one word, dot com. And uh, while you're there, also, please check out the website. As I said, Mary Butchov just did this for me, the shopping cart. Everything's awesome on there. Like, I'm actually proud. Like, if, if I was going out on a date, I would say to the girl, hey, babe, look at my website. Look at that. <laughs> you like that? Yeah. <laughs> and now he's my porch. But yeah, so guygrundy.com. And <clears throat> to everyone out there, <clears throat> know what you want and go get it, but have fun and <clears throat> try to, to make people feel good. Like, smile at someone, and th- they may not smile back at you all the time. I'm an Australian, so I walk around like crocodile and go, G'day, mate, how you doing? And one out of every five will, will stop and smile, and that, that just makes my day. And if they don't, and they're rude, it's funny to me. I'm like, wow, someone just said a lady when you're rude to him. What's wrong with you? So, right. go out there and enjoy life, and stop worrying about what everyone else thinks. Because trust me, everyone else is thinking about themselves so much. They haven't got time to think about you. We just think they do. Right. That's, that's fantastic. That's great information. You're a fantastic guest. I, I, I can talk to you for two hours straight because you're just one of those people that, you know, if I just say one thing, you can just expand on it for 20 minutes. And it, it's not incredibly difficult to work with a person like you. Uh, you're a great guy. I love working with you. I hope we have more projects in the future. Um, Greg Grundy, thank you for being on the show today. God bless. I hope you have a great day, my friend. Thank you, mate. Much love to everybody, and I look forward to being on again in the future. Thank you, brother. Have a great day. Thanks, mate. You too. All right, everybody. That's it. That's a 3 minutes 55 mark before we end this show. That's incredible. That was a very fast show. So what did you think? Did you have a good time? That's the key. The key is to have a good time. I want to sit down and talk to people, and I just want to have normal conversations. Conversations that lead into their career, but as well as get into the inside of who they are as humans. I want to know who they are, why they are, what makes them click, how they can help you, the listener, to become more confident. I don't want to hear any bad stories. Those bad stories are or a dime a dozen. Oh, lawyers. Oh, I couldn't make it. Oh, because I was a woman. Oh, because I was a man. Oh, it's because I was short. You're going to be turned on for a lot of things. What I love about young 
fucking up-and-coming actors or people who have, have some establishment in the, in the acting field is that they still have that buzz of confidence and happiness and joy in their work. And as Mickey Rooney said on his last film that uh, I have the pleasure of executive producing, was that um, if you're not having a good time, then I don't understand why you're doing this. I think Sean Pacino could, could do a much better quote than I can on that one. But uh, his comment was, to all the, all the crew in the cast, was, you should have a good time. You guys are running around crazy. Have a good time. So I loved hearing from Lauren Parkinson, Guy Grundy, Ricky Bird, we miss you. We hope you were on today. Sorry about the mix-up, and hopefully you got home safe. But uh, maybe we could have had that conversation about X-Men, Days of Future Past. <laughs> but I thought the show went well, and I'm very happy. I, I enjoyed myself. I hope you did, too. Next week, we have all new guests. Charles Carpenter, our co-host, will be on next week. This week, he couldn't be here, obviously, because he had a prior engagement, and I did this pretty fast. But he'll be on next week, and he'll be a continuing co-host as we can venture into uh, radio. Everybody, thank you for listening to Cinema Files Radio. You can find us at Cinema Files Radio on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter on Cinema File. You can find us all over the place. Just type in your name, Cinema Files Radio, or Steve Pisa, P-I-S-A, and it'll come up. It'll be pushed into, into iTunes as well as I'll post it on, on YouTube later on. So everybody will be able to download it, if not listen to it, on their off time. Thank you, everyone, for being with us today. I greatly appreciate it. Whoever you are, wherever you are, I hope your day is blessed. Have a great day. Have a great week. I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Cinema Files Radio. You are all amazing. Remember that.